If you weren't here last night, you really missed out. It was phenomenal. What an incredible evening we had together celebrating what God is doing around the world. Last night was was phenomenal. Um, The food, the music, that guy who spoke, the the food. I got to admit, I I, I love food. Orson Welles uh, said, ask not what you can do for your country, ask what's for lunch. That's a guy who knew what was really important in life, don't you think? Even that shepherd king David, he knew that people love food. Food is delicious. In fact, he loved food so much that I believe that's one of the reasons he compares God to delicious food. When he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know that even at the end of all time, when all is said and done, when God's people are finally brought together, united with him, that's even related to food. It's compared to a great banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, it is called. And it is going to be the greatest dinner party of all time. And you are invited. This is the one that you don't want to miss. You may have been to some pretty good dinners in your day. Maybe you've been invited over to somebody's house and they were pretty well off and they put on just a fabulous spread, so gracious, so generous to you. But this is a banquet that is going to be put on by the God of all creation. The God who has limitless power, limitless creativity, limitless resources, and limitless grace that he wants to pour out on those guests. What's that going to look like? What's that going to taste like? Don't you want to be there? This morning, let's talk about the invitation to the most important meal of your life. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, and we're going to be starting in verse 15. Would you stand with me as we read from this incredible book preserved throughout history? Amen. Luke chapter 14, verse 15 says this, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I... I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, 
what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we look at this passage, we're crashing a dinner party. It's well underway, and here is the background to what has been taking place. Jesus was invited to celebrate the Sabbath meal with one of the rulers of the Pharisees. He sat and ate with the religious elites of the day. But unlike most good dinner guests... Jesus wasn't exactly making things comfortable for everyone else who was invited. I think he was one of those, those guests that you kind of wish you hadn't invited, or at least hadn't responded yes to the RSVP. At the beginning of Luke 14, Jesus sits down to dinner, and he proceeds to ask a question. Is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus knows what they're going to say. He knows how they feel about work, work done on the Sabbath day. But then even before he gets an answer, he goes right ahead and heals a man. He's like that one-year-old who, who pauses to look up at mom or dad just before jumping into the puddle. He's like that kid. He, he didn't ask the question to get permission from them. He asked the question so that he would get their attention, so that they would be watching what he would do next. I know you think that this is wrong. Let me show you what I think. And I think there was silence. Next, he tells a story about how it's not good to take the best seat when you've been invited to a feast. Instead, he, should, he suggests you should just take the lowest seat, the seat at the furthest end of the table. For he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And again, I think there was silence. A pin dropped would have caused just a cacophony of, of resonating sound in the eardrums of everyone in the room. Everyone must have been thinking, is he talking about me? Do you, think, do you think he's talking about me? I bet that guy at the end of the table, the one that was seated way out there by the door, I'll bet he was thinking, man, I am glad I picked this seat because if it gets any weirder in here, I am gone, baby. I am out of here. All you'll see is smoke when I peel out. Jesus isn't finished yet. He then confronts the host. What? Confronts the host? It's not good to invite friends, family, rich neighbors to the banquets you throw. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Do this, and your reward will be great in heaven. And at this point, the host and everyone present, they must have just been shocked. Shocked out of their minds. Completely stunned. I mean, jaws are hitting the floor. Wine goblets are giving way to the force of gravity. Servants are reaching for the mops. And dry cleaners everywhere are rejoicing. Tension was thick. 
this was one of those awkward moments. You just, you just get a knife out and you just cut right through this. No one here was left feeling good about themselves. Then after several moments, a brave one steps forward. A brave one at the table says, i got to say something. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like saying, how about, how about that LeBron James, right? How about that guy? How about this weather we're having? Is this rain ever going to stop? It was the, let's get Jesus onto another topic that's going to make us all feel a little bit better about ourselves. Jesus likes talking about the kingdom of God. Well, let's talk about what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God is all gathered together and we're all sitting down at this heavenly banquet. Won't that be nice? When you think about it, this was a pretty gracious thing for this guy to do. I'm sure most guests, especially the host, really, really appreciate it and said, okay, now we'll turn this thing around. Let's rescue this dinner party. Let's lighten things up. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You see, this man, like other Jews, was well aware that God was preparing a great banquet for his people. He had read passages like Isaiah 25, verse 6. The prophet Isaiah looked forward to a day when the feast would be ready. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of, of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, This is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You see, they had all been invited to the party. They're just waiting for the moment when God would say, It's ready. Come on in. This man probably thought he was saving the dinner party, giving happy thoughts to everyone in the room, changing the conversation. But you know, Jesus wasn't going to play along. Instead, he bursts their bubble and says, essentially, you want to talk about the kingdom, do you? Here we go. And as usual, Jesus tells a story. We pick it up in verse 16. He said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at that, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Back in Jesus' day, much like today, when you were going to have a wedding, you would send out invitations. You would get RSVPs so that you would know who's planning on coming in advance. And once you did know that, then you would start making all the necessary preparations. 
These weddings were elaborate. The, the, the celebration, it would go on for days and days. There was a lot of planning to be done. But then, when everything was finally ready, you'd send your messengers out, and you would say, It's time. Let the celebration begin. Let's go have a party. And that's what Jesus is describing here. He's saying the preparations are finished. The food has been purchased. The tables have been set. The meat, it's on the grill and it's sizzling. The appetizers are out. Come, come over to the banquet. But you know, this wasn't just a nice, fun, after-dinner story. Jesus was, of course, alluding to the reality of God's banquet, the one that everyone had been looking forward to. And he's saying, it's now ready. He had actually said this many times before. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. When he sent out his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 7, he says, Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. He reads from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And just like all the other parables, all the other stories that Jesus told, this one was more than just an entertaining story. This was him sharing something that was very important after having make, made all the necessary pre preparations, the master of the house is now calling everyone to come. But, verse 18 says, they all began to make excuses. And excuses can be really useful tools, can't they? When you really don't want to do something, you don't want to go somewhere, you don't want to attend some event, rather than telling the brutally honest truth, you try to make yourself look better and others feel better by making some sort of excuse. Not at all excuses are equal, are they? We've all heard the good ones. Over the bad ones, and then there are some that just are dropped and they just explode on impact. Years ago, a magazine for teenagers compiled a list of actual excuses written by students for missing school. Here's one My son is under a doctor's care and could not take PE yesterday. Please execute him. <laughs> Clearly, someone needs to be in school. How about this one? 
please excuse Cynthia for being absent. She is sick, and I had her shot. Just one more. I won't torture us too long. Please excuse Danny for being. It was his father's fault. pretty ridiculous, right? And any psychiatrist would easily see something is fishy going on, that is going on here. You know, these, these excuses that Jesus lists off here in this passage, they have a certain fishiness to them as well. The first man says, I bought a field. I need to go check it out. Now that sounds like Somewhat of a reasonable excuse. I spent money. Now I want to go see what I get for my money. But when you think about it, who buys a piece of property without seeing it first? And even if it's true that you haven't seen it, how long is that really going to take? I mean, we're talking about a field here. And even if it is going to take a while, how well are you really going to be able to see it in the dark? This is a, a dinner party. No floodlights back then. Sounds a little fishy. The second man says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to check them out. That makes sense. If I bought a new car, I would probably want to check it out as well. Now, I can see buying a new car possibly online. I went to the dealer, I drove a few, I, I learned what I like, I've studied the, the features, I want this and that. And then, you know, I think I'll go to the, back to the comfort of my own home, I've heard you can do this now, and, and I'll just order the car online, and I'll either go pick it up later or I'll have it delivered to me. I don't want to deal with all that haggling and stuff. Um, and, and so uh, once I purchase that thing, then I'll, I'll get to see it later on. I can see doing that for a new car. But for a used car? There's, I know other people do this, and, and one of my brothers does this, but I myself could not even imagine buying a used car online. I can't imagine. I want to know what condition that thing is in before I put my money down. I want to know how it's going to perform. I want to know whether or not the pictures that I'm seeing on the Internet actually reflect the vehicle that I'm going to have delivered to my house. Have you ever picked up an Auto Trader magazine and you see there listed 1998 Chevy Corvette and there's a picture of a Volkswagen Beetle. It's like something's not right here. Not a car expert, but something's a little fishy here. That doesn't exactly inspire confidence. You know, oxen were not the type of animals that you wanted to just put out in the front yard to add curb appeal to your home because they were just so good-looking. These were work animals. They had to do work, and that's why you would buy them. They were the tractors of the day. And so if you were going to purchase oxen, you would want to know that these things were going to be able to perform. Who in their right mind would buy ten of them without making sure that they were all in great working condition? Anything else would be a little foolish. Again, kind of fishy. Third man. I think he has the most legit excuses all. 
Why can't you come? I got married. Well, uh, why can't you come? Because my wife won't let me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Say no more. Go and be blessed. But you know, this excuse is a little shady as well. I mean, if you knew that you were going to get married, then why did you say yes to the invitation in the first place? It's not like he ran out to Vegas to do a quick wedding. Jewish weddings were extremely elaborate. They took a really long time, as we noted earlier, to prepare for. If you knew you were going to get married six months to a year ago, then why did you say yes to my invitation last week? Excuses, excuses. But let's give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Maybe all these excuses are legitimate. But even so, one thing is certain. They all shout loud and clear. I have something to do. Or something that I would rather be doing. Something that is more important than coming to your banquet. These people aren't saying, I shouldn't come. They aren't saying, I won't try to come to the next one. They're saying, I just don't want to come right now. I've got better and more important things to do. You know, the sad thing that these men didn't realize was there would be no second chance. There would be no other opportunity. When I was a, a youth pastor, we would do these camps every single year. And every single year, it seemed like the same scenario would come up. There would be that one kid, that one kid who would put off registering for camp till the 11th hour. And then at the very last minute, it'd be like the day before camp, sometimes even the morning of camp. Jared, can I go? I, 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 Mom says I can go. Can I go? And this would be the hardest conversation ever. I'd say, you know I want you to go more than anything, but, but that ship sailed. You know, when, when you didn't register and we had a certain amount of spots that we had reserved, but then as we realized we weren't going to fulfill getting all those numbers, we called the camp and we let them go so that other kids from other churches who were on the waiting list, they could go. There's now no more room. I'm so sorry. And that's exactly what happens in Jesus' story. The servant comes back to report. Jesus says, then the master of the house became angry. And that's not surprising, is it? If people told you they were coming to your house for a very special meal that you were going to put on, you went out, you bought all the food, you cleaned the house, you set the tables, you spent a huge amount of money, time, and energy. And for what? So that you could sit there and have dinner by yourself? Not only that, think of how insulting this must have been. These people had no regard for the work that you went through. They care more about other things, things that can wait, things that they already owned, or a relationship that they would have for the rest of their life, and they would rather be about that business 
then take you up on this opportunity that you've given them. The master of the house, I think, had every right to be upset. But check out what he does with his anger. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't start cursing. He doesn't start throwing food around the room. He doesn't get online and start posting nasty things about them on Facebook. He doesn't call his friends up. He's like, can you believe so? You know what they did to me. He doesn't do any of that. What does he do? In his anger, he chooses to bless others, doesn't he? In his anger, he chooses to bless others. Because this is no ordinary host we're talking about. Everyone at that table knew, listening to Jesus, they knew the master of the house was God. He says to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. These were the people who had no money to buy fields, no money to throw a big wedding celebration. These were people who didn't have to be convinced that they were needy. They were the people that the Pharisees would have often called unclean, unworthy. The master says, go get those people. The servant comes back to him and says, sir, what you commanded has been done. Still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways, the hedges, compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. The Pharisees wouldn't have liked hearing this. They would have known that Jesus was probably referring to those who were far. The people that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 57, 19. These were the people who weren't invited at first. They weren't God's chosen people. They were the reprobates. They were the pagans. They were the Gentiles. They're the ones that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2.12. To the Gentiles, Paul says, remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, You who were once out on the highways and laying out there by the hedges, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus was condemned by religious leaders for associating with these types of people. Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners of every shape and size. They're described in Luke 5.24. When the man at dinner said, Blessed is everyone who eats bread. I guarantee you he wasn't thinking of these people. And I'll bet that if we went over to Bellaterra or out to Main Street, Huntington Beach, and asked people, Who do you think is going to make it into heaven? I'll bet we'd get answers like, Well, you know, those good people that go to church. (laughs) People who read their Bible a lot. You know, people who donate to charity. People who are nice or tolerant. People who contribute to society. Those Greenpeace volunteers. Probably not those Audi drivers. I don't think they're going to make it. Just kidding. I guarantee it wouldn't be that homeless guy over there 
who lays out there by the Westminster freeway off-ramp. It's not that girl who's strung out on drugs. It's not that guy wearing that offensive t-shirt or that husband that's walked out on his wife and three kids or those teens who can't seem to utter a single sentence without using a four-letter word. It's not those people. The master of the house, though, says, go get them. Compel them to come. Tell them that they have nothing to lose and so much to gain. Urge them. Make them realize this is an opportunity they can't afford to pass up. Do whatever it takes. Get them here. And then he utters deafening words. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I wonder if passages like Isaiah 55, 6 started shooting through minds at that banquet. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Or maybe the call of wisdom in Proverbs 1, 24. Because I've called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Those are sobering words. I wonder with the man who said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I wonder what he was thinking then. The message of this parable, I believe, has three important elements of application. It has a warning, it has an invitation, and a mission. It was a warning to the Jews, and really, to all religious people. See, the Jews had been invited to the banquet. They looked forward to it. And God said, come, I'm here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The feast is ready. Jesus says, all these prophecies you've been reading about, they were about me, and I'm here. All history points to me. I'm what you've been waiting for. Salvation is here. But for many, when the invitation came, they refused the call to accept it. And they made excuses. Why would anyone refuse to accept Christ? Who turns down a free gift? Religious people. People who have worked hard to make themselves look and feel holy and worthy and special on their own. People like the rich young man who came to Jesus and said, What must I do to be saved? I imagine him saying, Just like, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Thinking, All right, everybody, look at this, watch this. 
Jesus tells him, you know the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. And he's checking off the list. Yep, 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 I'm good. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. So many people are right there with them saying, I go to church. I read my Bible. I stay away from those nightclubs. I don't look at the pornography. I don't abuse alcohol. I'm faithful to my wife, my husband. I don't cheat on those tests. I don't copy off my neighbor's homework. I don't tease my brothers and sisters. I don't steal candy from babies. Come on. The Gospel of Mark tells us, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. It says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This young man, he was so proud of his ability to obey in so many different things. So proud was he that he was blind to see that the affections of his heart, they were not for God. They were for something else. He didn't see his need for Jesus. And even when he did, he couldn't trade his first love for the greatest love. What about us? Have you become so confident in your ability to do good that you don't see your need to just fully embrace the invitation that Christ gives? To recognize that this invitation, there's even with all of the trophies you have amassed for yourselves, you are not anywhere near deserving an invitation to this banquet. Or maybe you're someone who does recognize your need for God. And you're here and you sit week after week hoping to one day get yourself clean enough for God's approval. You need to know that's not the way it works. The Bible says that even your best attempts at cleaning yourself up, it's just like putting on a coat of rags. Filthy rags for that matter one pastor says the awareness of the fact that we are dirty that's what makes the bath so attractive people who don't realize or refuse to accept the fact that they're dirty they don't take showers you can ask my wife that's true in our home all the time Jesus' invitation, it's to people who need a shower and they know it. Just like some of those ladies who were brewing alcohol that we heard about last night, they realized, this is a bad situation I'm in. This is a terrible thing. I wouldn't give this stuff to my own children. And yet Don Rogers said, I'm giving this to other other ladies' sons and daughters. This is... This isn't right. This isn't good. I need a way out. That's who it's for. He's calling you to recognize your failures. 
to see the corrupting effects of your own sin and to come running to his table and taste forgiveness. But be warned. To reject the invitation may mean that there will come a day where you will be shut out. This is a limited time offer. Call now before it's too late. Operators are standing by. That's the warning. There's also an invitation. That invitation, it's still open right now. That is such good news. It's open and it is available to you and to me. And God says everything is ready. Nothing more is needed for your salvation. I took care of everything. Jesus did it all when he died for your sin on the cross and then defeated death by rising from the dead. You will never be good enough. You will never be religious enough on your own. You are not okay. Come to me and be forgiven, he says. And yet we delay. And we make excuses. Make excuses. I have plenty of time. You know, I, I, I'm in junior high now. I'm in, I'm in high school now. This is the time to play and to have fun and blah, blah, blah. And then you all get serious about this stuff later on. And then college comes. I'm hanging out. I'm having a good time. I'm living on campus. But you know, now, now I'm out of college. Now I've got a job. You know, I'm busy here. I'm getting married. Now we've got kids. You know, oh, man. got kids. How are we going to make it through this? And time after time after time, we make excuse after excuse after excuse. I've got money to make. I've got things to buy. I've got classes to take. I've got people to date. I've got kids to raise. I've got a life to make for myself. And all of these things might be good things, but they can keep us from the best thing. Don't say... I'll come later because later might be too late. Finally, there's a mission. The job of the servant in this parable is the job for everyone. Everyone who has embraced the invitation and placed their trust in Jesus Christ. We're not to be people who just sit down at the table and fold our arms and say, you know, would you pass the, the potatoes? Man, I'm so glad I made it to this party. We're not to be just those kind of people. The fact that we're here, knowing that we were in the same sad shape as so many others out there, and that it's only by the grace of God that we're sitting at this table that should move us out of our seats. We see people passing by through the windows. We say, well, what about them? They need this too. Why am I here and they're out there? Did they not hear the news? I need to go talk to them. They need to come in. We've been brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. And now we're called to carry that light and make it shine bright in dark places. And we are so thankful. I am so blessed by this church and how we take missions and we put it way up here. Way up here. We said, this is awesome. We love being a part of what is going on around the world. And thank God for these missionaries who are going to far-off places, carrying the light that it might shine down. What a beautiful thing it was last night to hear the stories 
of how God is using that light to transform people's lives. So thankful for the invitations to the banquet that are being passed out all over the place. But you know that's the call of every one of us, right? The call of every one of us who has been brought to the table. Are you sharing the invitation? Are you carrying the light? Yeah, that'll look differently for all of us. We've all been gifted with in unique ways. We all have different personalities. Some of us are really reserved and, and shy, and it's, it's terrifying to go talk to somebody. Some of us are completely outgoing. And yet God calls us all to this. You've been given an invitation. I pray to God that you have accepted that invitation. But now you have a stack of invitations to get out there somehow. You might say, but, but I have invited, and they're not coming. They're making excuses. They've decided to go do other things. And God says, go do it again. Tell everyone the good news. The banquet is ready. Don't just go to your friends, and just don't go to people like you or who are interested in model railroading like you. No, no, go everyone. Go to the poor. Go to the outcasts. Go to the people who can't repay you because my house will be filled. Are you out there extending the invitation, grabbing everyone you can and telling them how good it is to know Jesus? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you look outside your door and see people who are starving to death? People whose marriages are falling apart. Whose finances are in a state of ruin. Whose hearts are wrecked with emotional pain. Whose lives have been trashed by drugs, alcohol, pornography. Those people, those people we need to grab a hold of and say, taste and see. Taste and see. Here's an invite. Here's a free gift card. You can come to my church and it won't cost you a dime. This is the invitation to the most important meal of your life. There's a warning. There's an invitation. There is a mission. What an incredible thing is it is to sit at this dinner table, to be invited to the feast. But you know there are a lot of highways out there there are a lot of hedges. There are a lot of people who still need an invite. The question is, will you and I answer the call? Will we pass the invitation? Will we carry the light? Would you pray with me? Lord, we just... Uh, it, it's not enough, Lord, to say thank you. It's not enough to fall on our faces before you, weeping and saying, Lord, how good and wonderful you have been to me. That's not enough. There is nothing that we can do. It's not enough, Lord, for me to say, here's my life. Do with, do with it whatever you please, whether you take me far off places or you use me right here, use me in my job, use me in my marriage, use me in my family. Lord, it's, it's, nothing is enough because the invitation you have given us is of value beyond compare, beyond payment. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, if there is someone in this room who has not yet placed their trust in you, 
Maybe there's someone who's been making excuses. Maybe there's someone who's been putting it off. Maybe it's someone who's been thinking that they were good because they've been trying to do all of these good things, but they haven't come to grips with the fact like that rich young ruler that I just need Jesus. And lay everything else down. It's all about what he did. Lord, I pray for that person that they would come to let go and trust you today. To say, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary that he paid for every one of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. I am yours. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, we've come to the table. We've tasted. We've seen. We know it's good. Lord, move us up out of our seats that we might go and share and call people to your table so that your house may be full. We thank you, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.